Okay, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining today's Parshas Kiseitse. And let's delve right in. Anybody that wants to dedicate this class, it's available. Bezrat Hashem, let me know in an email, whatever, whoever you like. Okay, here we are. Parshas Kiseitse is a rich parsha, but we're going to um, work on the conclusion of the parsha. We have the mitzvah, the last reading, the last part of the reading, the mafter, the very conclusion in which it concludes, remember what Amalek did to you. Now, I do want to say, we spoke about Amalek from this podium many times, and today we're talking again against about Amalek, and I probably mentioned some of these ideas before. Um, however, this is something that we have to constantly re, 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 rehash and, re, and go through over and over again, because that's the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to remember, to remember, to remember, and not to forget. Um, but, you know, uh, there's a statement in Hebrew, it says, medrish There's no um, class that there's no novelty. So even if you heard some of the ideas in today's class, I think its application to the current times might be new and some very interesting ideas as it all comes together. Um, okay. So um, we're living in obviously very, 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 very unique times. The world is shaking and quaking. And uh, it, it feels like if I wouldn't have a belief in Moshiach as imminent and imminent as imminent as imminent, I would really panic. That's what it would be. <laughs> the world is literally spinning seemingly off its axis. And we're talking about everything. We're talking about the, 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 the things that are happening in terms of what humans are doing, people are doing, talking about the pandemic and the virus and all the... And all the uh, stuff associated with it and consequential of it and so on and so forth, where there's a whole lot of confusion. But we're also talking about natural events that have been occurring in the world, which are showing that, we say in Yiddish, the the world is shaking. Um, if you have been paying attention, maybe it's not headlines in the news, but there's been massive amount of flooding across the world, uh, literally across the entire world. They had enormous flooding in, 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 in Europe just about a month ago, in Germany, in Belgium, even in Britain, um, and I, in Netherlands, and I have not gone through all of them because uh, I simply didn't follow all of them. In India, in China, certain areas which were flooded, in Mexico, and um, even over here in Utah there was flooding. It wasn't such a big flood, but there was flooding. I was driving by, talk about my travels. <laughs> The day before, I was uh, going to drive by an area where there was like massive flooding. Um, but also, most recently, where did I see, in addition to Mexico, another place where the flooding is crazy, in Korea, um, but there was someone else. And there's wildfires raging, many places. And now, painfully, in Jerusalem, it's a big, massive fire. But in different places, there's massive, there's Huge fires. Um, and then we had an earthquake in Haiti, which did horrible damage. And um, it seems like we're moving now to a storm season. May God protect and, and watch. But these stuff have been abnormal, abnormal, taking into consideration all the tragic events that happened to the, to, to the Jewish people in particular this year, the calamities, from one after another, bang, bang, from Surfside to Marone, Carlene, the, the, the horrible story of the plane that crashed in the Ukraine with a couple of young men, one of them engaged to be married, 
Carlin and Stalin, the collapse of the, of the, of the bleachers. I mean, just nonstop, it's too much, just way too much been going on. And obviously, the response to all of this should be an awakening, a powerful awakening. God is banging on the door. There is no doubt that Hashem is banging on the door. It says in Shira Shirim, the Ebishter is banging on the door. God is saying, open up for me. I think Hashem wants Mashiach more than anything else. He just wants us to want it. And we all want it, but He wants us to be, you know, communication doesn't work if you just don't say, you know. Uh, good communication is you have to talk. God wants us to verbalize it. Hashem wants us to cry out for the Giyula. The entire Jewish world to cry out for the Giyula. This should be a massive awakening across the entire world for everybody to cry for Mashiach. And with Hashem's help, I am very much involved in create, of, 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 hopefully with God's help with, before Rosh Hashanah this year to have the biggest awakening for Mashiach call of Jews across the entire globe davening for Mashiach. May God help me and those that have been working diligently on this that we're going to break through and get this to happen. But we shouldn't even have to do that because Mashiach should be here before that. And here is where we encounter Amalek. Amalek is the one who drains our enthusiasm. Our, our, our Amalek is the one who comes and casts doubts. Amalek is the one who laughs things off. Amalek is the one who would say something like this. Oh, you're talking about calamities, talking about major events, talking about COVID, talking about the whole world in lockdown, talking about all this mishikas. You think this is the first time in history this happened? What do you think you can compare this to the Second World War? Can you compare this to the Holocaust? And just like Mashiach didn't come then, he's not coming now. That's a very easy, and you know who says it, smart Alex. That's what Amalek is. Amalek is a smart Alec. He's very smart. He's very intelligent. He's smarter than everybody else. And he laughs. All he makes is he snickers. And by laughing and by casting a little doubt, when people are inspired to move, to change, to, make an, to, to have some, something happen in their life that will change them based on the craziness of what's happening and that it's not letting go and we thought we're going to be over the pandemic and coming out on the other side and now with the delta uh, version and this one and lockdowns again in israel and in other places i uh, you know I, I was watching a video of this you know someone tried making a small little engagement party in australia and boy oh boy the entire country rose up against them i feel so bad for this groom <laughs> and, and, and it's, uh, like, like as if they're murderers and who knows what Again, right or wrong, I'm not getting into. We have to follow the rules of government. Maybe, I don't even know sometimes where the rules are coming from. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not going into it. What I'm just saying is that people that have been already held down and locked in chicken coops for the last year and a half, and they want to have a, fam a, a little bit of a gathering celebrating a chassan and a kala, and this is what befalls them. This is not normal. This is no good. This is this warrants a agishrai. And again, obviously, that itself is not so tragic. But when you put it in the context of everything that's been going on, and nonstop, and I believe that there is divine compassion. So Baruch Hashem, Hashem has been super kind and compassionate. Although we all cry out and say the little, the the, the suffering has been way too much. But definitely, you can sense the fact that things are coming at us from every direction, from every direction. And now what's happening in Afghanistan. You know, we were so excited two years ago when, the, when, the, when ISIS was completely wiped out. Imagine they remember, remember when we, I mean, people forget. Our, our memories are very short. Part of the mitzvah of remembering Amalek is remember, don't forget. We, we forget, because especially today's days when we get so much news, so much news, and the last week's news is like happened 10 years ago already. That's how fast-paced 
We are. You know, it used to be that way. In the olden days, you used to live with one story for 30 years. Then you heard another story. Now it's nonstop, so we have no space. So we move. We clear out, we clear out the old from, for the new. So people forget you know, the horror we were watching when we saw these images coming out of ISIS and what they were doing to people. It was, uh, and, and it was frightening. And they were conquering during the, uh, you know, during the Obama years. They were going through and making their caliphate. And, 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 and then everything changed. And now we seems to be going ahead in that direction again with a complete Taliban takeover. I mean, these stuff are, it's crazy. It's just absolute madness. And no one has any sense that there's any leadership, any real leadership in the world. And obviously, this is all indicative and signs of the Geula and of Mashiach. Not that we need chas v'shalem trouble that Mashiach is coming, but the fact that everything breaks down as a prelude. Like someone told me today in his words, the Pasuk says in Bereshis, Everybody knows that Pasuk, second verse in the Bible. That seven, second verse in scripture in the Torah. And the land and the earth was chaotic and confusing. And then what's the next the next words? And the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, which the sages tell us, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. This is the Spirit of King Mashiach which tells you the condition of the world right before the spirit of Melech HaMashiach is revealed. Since Mashiach is going to be the ultimate leader and teacher and inspiration and guide uh, uh, and, and, and visionary of all of humanity, there are, right before Mashiach's coming, there is a massive void in leadership. And the entire world is like yearning for a true leader, for a true compassionate, real prophet and true leader who can lead humanity utterly selflessly without any personal interest and one that is going to have dominion over the entire world and the entire world will willfully, joyfully and excitedly listen to him. So we're definitely in the zone. There is no question. We're in the zone. We're so much in the zone. And here's where we got to deal with Amalek. Now we have to deal with Amalek now both physically and spiritually. Physically, we have to deal with Amalek. What do I mean physically? It means that down here in our world, the doubts that come in, in other words, what is necessary now is a, as we're coming closer to Rosh Hashanah, as we're coming in the, we're in the month of Elul, of Anila Dodi Vedodi, I am to my beloved, is my beloved is me. It's the month of reckoning, the month of soul searching, the month of Cheshuva, the month of our awakening, our connection to God. I mean, this year, the Chesh Ben Anefesh, this year, the calculation, this year, the awakening has to be so deep and so powerful. Just the fact that there's such insecurity. And as the, one of the things that block between us and Hashem is our arrogance. You know, when we feel uh, imaginative secure, we feel that our life is ours. We're healthy, we're young, we're strong, we're doing well, we're good. God swept the cap carpet out from beneath our feet. There is no security right now. There's nothing in the world that is stable. What is stable? The economy is stable. <laughs> the economy is stable. And any second, I mean, we're, we're looking at the possibility, God forbid, of, the, of, the, of, of crazy inflation. I already went to take, uh, you know, some, fill up the car with gasoline just at the corner. Over here in Los Angeles, $4.75 at the corner. This is $5. We remember, and and, 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 and uh, <laughs> this is not to say what's going to be in two months from now. I'm not predicting anything bad. But what's stable right now? The country has been knocked out by COVID, the economy. Billions of dollars, trillions of dollars have been poured in. 
borrowed money that has no basis to it, the whole thing can fall apart in a day. We've seen the social tensions that are going on in the world, over here in the United States and anywhere, the safety of the Jewish people, we don't feel safe in our cities, we don't feel any more safe. People think they're going to Florida, and this one thinks they're going here. You want to go to, it, it is crazy. Mamash Meshuggah. So, uh, uh, the, the, at this time, in the month of Elul, the, the tshuva in general, and the awakening towards the Giula and towards Mashiach should be so powerful and so strong. There should be such a sense of shofar, such a powerful sense of alarming, of alarming awakening amongst the Jewish people. And again, from the Hasidic perspective, not, not so much based on the panic, God forbid, we should never panic, or the fear, but far more based on we are at the moment of birth. Geula is happening. And what should dominate in our hearts is the excitement for Mashiach, but also our, our excitement to make the final goal. It's like when you're winning already and you can see already, you know, you're at the last seconds, you know, when you watch one of these big games, whether it's football, basketball, and, the, and there's literally 10 seconds left to, less to the game, and one team is at the, they're winning, they're so there. The adrenaline, that's what we need to have now. This super adrenaline for Geula, yes, in this darkness and in this confusion, but here is where we deal with Amalek. And Amalek it scares us by telling us, don't get excited, these things happened before already, don't put all your eggs in one basket, don't be so sure it's happening. If you get yourself excited, you might have a letdown. What happens if it didn't happen? Rabbi Wolf said three years ago was gonna happen, and four years ago was gonna happen, and five years ago was gonna happen, right? We have that. And even though everything is so sure that we're there, and the truth is, there's nothing changed in what I'm saying, it's just that it didn't happen yet. It's been happening the last five years. It didn't happen completely. It, it, it didn't completely complete. Um, so, so, so the Amalek is what stifles the energy, what, what weakens the excitement. That is in, down here in this world. But it's spiritually too. What Amalek is, is Amalek is a force that interrupts the flow of energy. That's Amalek. It doesn't allow energy to flow from one level to the next level. It comes in and it creates a blockage. It disconnects. It, it, it doesn't want the manifestation. So when we ask ourselves the question, we had all the signs of the Geula. We had so much of the Geula happening in the last couple of years. If you've been listening to, to my classes, but not just for me, I guess if you just had to open your eyes and be a little aware, we saw such tremendous advances into Mashiach territory, into Mashiach world in terms of so many geopolitical events, so many things happening, so many major breakthroughs, which was so indicative that the Geula is on a roll. And uh, in many ways, we've experienced major setbacks. I, now, I believe with absolute certainty, I spoke about it, but it's not recorded, Shabbos by the Kiddush, that these setbacks are very, very temporary. It's something that is just an attempt by the other side to, 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 to stop the Geula from coming. But again, uh, it's definitely gonna fail. The Geula is on a roll. But you gotta ask the question, if it's so potent, if the powers, if the messianic energies are so intense and so powerful, why can't we reach the finish line? Why don't we have the third base amygdash yet? Something seems to be, keeps on sticking itself in 
Like we were so sure. Who was not sure? I'm talking about this year. Last year Pesach, not this past Pesach. Last year Pesach, when everybody was on lockdown, everybody that Elio Anavi Mashiach Tzedkenu was going to walk in. Uh, I mean, how whoever had a seder like this, everybody was. The kotel was locked down. Every shul was locked down. I mean, this was was, was we were so sure, and it should have happened, and it could have happened, and but it didn't. It didn't happen then yet to our physical man eyes. So there seems to be, again, this is my observation, that things are advancing, but then they stop. Advance and it stops, and advances and it stops. And that's a sign of a Amalek. What Amalek does is that he keeps on blocking. He keeps on putting him, and that's why Amalek, when the Torah identifies Amalek this week in the Parsha, it says, Amalek is the arch enemy of God. He's bent, Amalek, and he, Amalek is a nation. Amalek was a person. He was a grandson of of Esau. Esau. Now, he is a human being, and his progeny, his children, represent people that are not on God's team. They are people that are here to block holiness and godliness. But as Amalek exists in the physical, it also exists as spiritual forces, which don't only exist in the outside world, meaning as really evil, real extreme evil that exists, there is something called Zera Amalek. Zera Amalek means the descendants of Amalek. And the sages say that um, the Ein Hashem Sholem, that God's name is not complete, and Ein Akisei Sholem, and God's throne is not complete, until it will be erased, Zarei Shalomalek, the progeny of Amalek, the descendants of Amalek. The DNA of Amalek has to be wiped out. So how God is going to do that, we can't, it's not our thing business to run around, God forbid, seeking and testing people's DNA and killing people. That's not our work, it's not in our jurisdiction, it's not what God wants of us, and it's not at all our business. What is our business is to get rid of the klipa of Amalek, the virus of Amalek that's in our hearts. We all have this malady, we all have this illness, we all carry this virus to a certain degree. We can detect it within ourselves, and the way to destroy and stop Amalek from stopping holiness from manifesting now here's a very important thing. Even though Amalek exists throughout all the generations, it is he is the most, the most um, 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 damaging. He is the most effective and the most um, active at the moment at the most crucial moments of history. When we went out of Egypt and we were on our way to the Holy Land, it was in between going out of Egypt and entering the Holy Land is when boom, Amalek stuck his nose in. And he caused that Mashiach did not come then. Without Amalek, Mashiach would have been there. Back then, three and a half thousand years ago, the world would have reached already its ultimate revelation of godliness, permanently impacting the world forever and ever. The fact that it didn't happen was because Amalek got in the way and pushed it off 3,000 years. So at that moment he came. And the verse says, not over here, but in Parshas B'Shalach, the first time when it tells us how Amalek came and attacked the Jewish people, it says, It's a war for God against Amalek, from generation to generation, which simply means throughout all the generations, but it also means from Moshe's generation to the generation of Mashiach. Our generation has the task to give the death blow to Amalek, to finally take him out. So I'm not going to go into, I know there are maybe other rabbis who like doing this, I'm not going to go into the idea of who the Amalek is today, and you pick the guy you really don't like and you're, you're politi- from your political view and say that's Amalek, and so on and so forth. That's not my business. What I do want to talk about is the Amalek virus, 
that we have, just like there is now the COVID virus. That's a virus, and it's, it, 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 it spreads, and it's, it's very, very, very contagious, and it, and it wreaks havoc uh, on people, and it takes on all kinds of different forms. It, it, what do they call it? It, it? it metastasizes, or whatever the word is, not that it, uh, whatever it does. It reinvents itself, and it comes in different forms, and they have this variant, and you have this variant, and that variant. I'm only, but it's really the same thing. Now, it's interesting, a few years, uh, last year when, when uh, when COVID first appeared, I made the connection that COVID actually could be a, a physical manifestation of a spiritual energy of Amalek. And I connected it somehow because spiritually COVID is, COVID is called Corona, Corona is Keter, and Amalek is the Keter of Kalipa, it's the crown of the unholy. So there's a lot of connections. I'm not going there. I'm just today drawing the parallel between the idea that there could be a virus that's catchy and that goes out and we have to be very, very cautious and careful not to catch it. And you see what people do. There's lockdown, there's masks, there's all kinds of things that are done to make sure that, God forbid, the virus doesn't spread. The same is the Amalek spiritual virus of Amalek. It's very contagious. It, it is very dangerous. And what is it? It is cynicism. It is doubt. It's what, whenever you're about to change your life and get excited about something, it comes and gives a tiny little snicker. It says, so what? It says, and it's an inside voice. It's an insidious inside voice that makes us have what we call chutzpah to God. That's what we discussed a few years ago, and I'm going to repeat it again. Chutzpah means a, that one, this Amole Klippa doesn't allow, it, it is not impressed with any power or any display of might and of truth. It has the ability to stick its tongue out towards something that's bigger than it, not because it believes and it knows that it has a truth, that it is really uh, a, comp a competition, it truly is powerful, it truly has a certain quality over that, that power. It doesn't care about anything. It thrives, its energy is to, is to dismiss somebody that's bigger than him, or truer than it, or or, or greater than it. It dismisses greatness. It laughs off greatness. It just this, it is so arrogant, it is so stuffed up with its own existence that without any explanation, even while it's no, it knows that it is a low life, even though while it knows it amounts to absolute nothing, it's just plain empty garbage, it still inflates itself and says, I'm defiant. It's an irrational defiance to holiness. And we know when we have that. Sometimes we experience inspiration to make our lives better. Sometimes we remember that I'm Jewish and I should be more involved in doing tzedakah. The month of Elul is here. I should go to a Torah class. I should be more patient with my children. I should do every day a little Torah. I don't know, all the thoughts that we have to try, I should stop doing so and so and so, which I know is damaging to me, it's against God, it's against holiness. I should not be lazy and put the negelvasser, you know, next to my bed or wash my hands, or say brachas the first time, the first thing in the morning instead of reading all my emails. In other words, we all have these alarms, we all have these triggers that says to us, we should do that. Now sometimes you have a counter argument, and you explain to yourself, 
an argument, a reasoning why. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's too much. Maybe you, but sometimes it's not that. If it's an argument, it's an argument. Okay, this back, you have to argue it out in your head. Sometimes it's not an argument. It's just, no, no, no. You just dismiss that thought. You don't want it to impact you because you don't want to make a change. For no reason at all. Even though you know that you should be doing it. You have no reason for it. It's just a plain, simple, stubborn chutzpah. It's a little devil. Sorry for saying that. It's a little devil inside of us with mighty steel horns. That's ugly. That stands up against any call for change and, 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 and transformation and just gives a laugh or a snicker or a stubborn, so what? I'm not doing that. And dismissed. And then we go back and just continue being who we are and not making the changes we need to make our lives godlier, holier, and more inviting for Mashiach, more inviting for Elokos. That's Amalek. And it works on an individual level, and it works on a community level, and it works on a global level. And just like it works down here in this world, it works in the spiritual realms above. On the highest levels of godly energy, of godly transmission, because you realize for godliness to come down into this world, for Mashiach to come down into this world, it has to pass through various levels of communication from one level, from one attribute to the next attribute, from one range, from one world to the next world. And in each of these levels, there is a molek that comes and interferes and does not want the divine manifestation to manifest into the next world. And it blocks without reason. It's, and that's why it's so hard to deal with. Somebody that comes with an argument, you can convince, you can win the argument, you can, you can, you can debate it, and you can convince the truth. But someone who's not interested in any argument, someone who's just defiant, just plain defiance, you're helpless against it. And that's Amalek. That's why God is so mad against Amalek. He created it, obviously, to be the ultimate challenger. But you see how God had such wrath against Amalek because it's plain, pure, and it's, it's the antithesis to holiness. It fights against Kedusha. It does not want Mashiach. That's really what it doesn't want. It does not want the full, real, complete, godly truth to reveal itself in this world, and it will do whatever it takes to stop it from happening. So um, that's, that's the core of this, of this klippa called Amalek. Now let's get a little bit um, better into the understanding of what it is, because when you understand and then you can identify it, then you can see what is the Torah's remedy of how we deal with Amalek, that the remedy against Amalek is Zachor, remember. By remembering, the concept called remembering, as we're going to see, is the antidote to Hamalek. So let's first see and appreciate what the klipa is, both in ourselves and in the higher world. So going back to what I said before, when we see the slowdown, and when we see that there seems to be something in the cosmos, something within the universe, that is not allowing Mashiach's revelation, that's the thing. Something that's a force that keeps on slowing it, keeps on blocking it, that's the Amalek syndrome. Amalek steps in by every stage to stop it and to block it. So um, we, but again, we can't, what we have to realize is like this. We are responsible for us. And, but we have to realize that by us being responsible by us, it doesn't mean we're not responsible for the whole world. We are responsible for the whole world. But when you exterminate Amalek from within your own psyche, from your own inside yourself, you're actually impacting the universe. 
Why? Because God created the world the, the, with the micro and the macro. The micro controls the macro. It's amazing. The micro controls the macro. So in the tiniest little human being, if in each and every one of us, we learn and take the Torah's um, advice of how to eradicate Amalek from within our own psyche, from within our own system, we actually impact the greater universe, the highest levels of divine energy flow in which Amalek is causing blockages and, and interference, we, 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 are, we, we, we break the Amalek, we destroy the Amalek by dealing with it, with it in our own little world because of how deeply wired up we are. We're wired up with the entire system. And all these small little things happening in our own, these little struggles that happen before, not, not while you're at the shear, because with the shear, thank God, you know, you're here. But when you're not at the shear, and when I say you, I mean myself too, when we're in the rest of the day, like three in the afternoon, 10 o'clock tonight, when you go home, or tomorrow, or whatever, during the week, all these, all these times when we suddenly, when you get the Amalek alarm, when you suddenly detect it, because it, once you learn about it, you can, it's very easy to detect it. We get to see it at, at times. In other words, I know, for instance, that I need to go to Minyan. I should daven with the Minyan. But sometimes I eh, you know, so it's Corona, it's this. We didn't daven for Minyan for this. If I stay home, what's get? But I know it's just total ridiculous. It's total, inside, it has no basis. It has no argument. There's no validity to it. And, 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 and it's just dismissing God and Shulchan Aruch and what Torah says for no reason. The, the Friedrich Rebbe says, I mean, the Friedrich Rebbe gives an example from Amalek. From Amalek. He, says, he says it's like, it's like the idea that everybody knows the halacha that you're not supposed to talk during davening. Everybody knows it. You know, it's, it's a prohibition. The Torah says you're not allowed to the Shulchan Aruch. Not during the reading of the Torah, not during davening. But there's a, such a, like, a conscious decision where people say, and it's just totally dismissed and frantic. It's not like, I don't know. I know, but I don't care. <laughs> so, and it's not that you're, you're not trying to be bad, but it's like there is some klipa that creates within the person. So what are you going to say to a person? What is the person, person going to argue? I am true. This is a person who believes in the Shulchan Aruch. We're not talking about someone who, who dismisses the Torah and says it's not from God. That's a different story. But this guy's in shul. Why is he in shul? Because the Torah says you should come to shul. Because he believes in Shulchan Aruch. He knows what the Shulchan But it's like, eh. <laughs> That's it. It's a stubborn dismissal of things that we know is true, real, should be, and we're just dismissing of it. So, where does Amalek come, and when does Amalek have power? So let's first understand something. The Torah says Amalek comes to us. When did Amalek attack us the first time? On the way out of Egypt. That means that there is a condition. And we're gonna, now, physically, it means when the Jews left Egypt, but they had not yet arrived in the land of Israel. So somewhere on the road, Amalek, Amalek was lying in ambush. And that's when they attacked, on the road. Now, that's what they did literally. Is that really significant? Everything is significant. Not only is it significant, but when the Torah tells us that you should eradicate Amalek and why God is so angry at him, Torah emphasizes, Asher he made you cold. Or he encountered you. Karcha is already more... A, a more homolytic, that karcha means making you cold, is a more homolytic interpretation. But the simple meaning is he encountered you, baderach on the road. Since the Torah tells you that he's on the road, on which road? 
the most important journey that we have. We are all told that we, we all start off in Egypt. Dest destination is Eretz Yisrael. And in between, there is a long road, which that road took us 40 years to travel in. We are only vulnerable to attack when we're on the road. When we're not on the road, we have no, prob we have no problem with Amalek. Amalek is a, is a traveling... Um, um, uh, it's, a, it's one of the... One of the wild beasts, it's one of the things we have to say on, so to speak, that we should be protected from above, because that's only when there is danger of being accounted for. Once we've hit our destination, and we're already in the land of Israel, spiritually, as we're going to see, Amalek can't come close to us then. We are, we are safe. We are protected. When we're still in the land of Egypt, Amalek doesn't bother us because he doesn't feel a need to bother us. See? When we're in Egypt, Amalek has no business. He doesn't care. Because we're in Egypt anyways. So he has no problem. He has no need to, to start up with us. So spiritually, when we find ourselves still in a state of Egyptian, in exile, in a real Gullah state, Amalek is going to leave you alone because he's happy with you the way you are. You're not bothering him. When you're already in the land of, in the land of Israel, it's too late. He has no power over you. He's powerless. He can't get you because you're already in the land of Israel. You're past vo the vulnerable state. When can Amal? They get you only in that short journey. It's like the you know, um, um, an animal. You watch and if you ever if you if you, if you ever watch these um, animal um, um, uh, what are they called documentaries or whatever on YouTube or whatever it is. So when are the bait, when when are animals vulnerable? It's like it's 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 when the when, when the baby is still in the mother's womb. Okay, the mother is the mother. You know the baby's. When the baby is an adult and it's a fend itself, it's not so vulnerable. But it's during that short period of time from birth until it reaches a certain maturity where it can fight for itself, these animals are extremely vulnerable to all kinds of, of, of predatory animals. Amalek hits us when we're vulnerable, and that's on the journey. So now we have to define what are the three stages in spiritual growth. Egypt, journey from Egypt, and the land of milk and honey. And here's where it works. Egypt is a state where the Torah says we were in exile and we had really nothing going for us in our relationship with God except for one thing. There was one thing we had even when we were in Egypt. There's one thing that never, ever, ever, ever left the Jewish people. And that is what we call in, 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 uh, in Yiddish the Pintaliyid. We always had within a spark of faith. Jews always had faith in God. But we all know how faith is not, not that impactful. Because you can have very strong faith, but faith does not really dictate your behavior. Because you can, you can have belief in something, but if you don't internalize it, if faith, by, we discussed it many times, faith is a very um, 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 high energy. It's too high for it to impact the little, the little um, 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 momentary decisions we have in day-to-day -day life. Faith doesn't dictate behavior too much. And the classic example of that is what the sages say, that when a thief is breaking into a, 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 into a, a, a building, he stops and he prays that God should help him. That's what faith is good for. We can daven to God to help us achieve criminal activity when we're doing things that are sinful and we're davening to God not to get caught. What is that? It's a total contradiction. You're, going, you're praying to God, which means God is very real to you, but at the same time, you're doing something that you know God. The answer is you have faith in this gut, but it's not, it's not vivid, it's not compelling in everyday life. It's distant, it's removed. 
So when the Jewish people were in, and that means we are an extremely, extremely, extremely impoverished state. There is no godly light. There's no godly consciousness. There's no expansive godly consciousness in the human being. All we have is just a pure, a little faith that there is a God, but it's very distant and very removed from us. God is not filling our heart. If you ask me, what is my emotions? What is my excitement? If I'm a, if I'm a Jew stuck in Egypt, my passion, my excitement, my fervor, my fears, things that threaten me are all materialistic things. I don't have any compelling emotions, forceful feelings towards God. My heart is totally shut down towards the spiritual in terms of emotions. And that's the reason because my intellect is not developed. I have no understanding in God. I have faith because my parents delivered a dose of faith and that always remains in us. But it's not, it means a very, very narrow, constricted godliness that's within us. A tiny little flame of Jewishness is still there. A little tiny godliness because that that's inextinguishable, but not more than that. Um, now, in Hasidus it says, every morning when we wake up in the morning, we've, we're after a period of six, seven, eight, nine, I don't know how long you sleep, maybe five, maybe four, but you're after a period where, you, where we, you and me and all of us, every night during the sleep hours, we are very, very, very physical. Because... Our mental faculties aren't working, so we're just, we're just material. We're just living in a world of matter. Not bad, but there is no consciousness of the divine while we're sleeping because we, you know, without the alertness, without the mental understanding, you're... So nighttime is a time of... And that's why we know there is a spirit of impurity hovering over a person when you're asleep. You wake up in the morning, you can be the big tzaddik, you still have to wash your hands because nighttime is when the soul, and we also know the soul kind of leaves the body during the night. I'm not even talking about the ridiculous dreams that we have. That's totally indic indicative of, where, of how, <laughs> how, uh, how we're not spiritually developed. But a night is night. Obviously, if you prepare yourself the way a Jew should prepare himself before you go to sleep, and you'll study Torah before you go to sleep, and you say Kriya Shema, especially if you give the Shema a little bit meditation, and you, you're not necessarily going to sleep by watching a movie, but instead you say the Shema, and you put the Negel Vasar, and you, do, you make the preparation, and you put your hand on the mezuzah if you do that, or whatever, whatever, everybody's got their things, then hopefully some of that spiritual light extends itself subconsciously to hover over you, to protect you, even when you're sleeping. But still, you're indefinitely, you or us, all of us, on a much lower state when we're sleeping than when we are awake. We might say, the, we might say for some people, everybody's happy when they're sleeping. <laughs> if they're up, they're making trouble. But we're talking about people that are trying to, trying to be good. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about exceptions. I'm talking about people that are trying to be good Jews, trying to be good people, and, and live a godlier life. When we are asleep, we're in Egypt. But here's the interesting thing. It says that when we wake up from our sleep, for the first half an hour, until we really get into the spiritual meditation that we should do every morning, until we have our spiritual exercise, until we don't do that, we're, we're still in Egypt. That means that we don't have expansive spiritual consciousness. Our spiritual consciousness is barely to the idea that I'm a Jew and I, should, I know that it's, I'm, I'm a Yid, I'm, I'm a Jew. I, 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 I 
change. I have a purpose, maybe. I'm not thinking about purpose. I'm thinking more about, you know, we're hungry, what I have to do today. As we said before, you open your emails, you kind of check it around, check the news sites, what happened, maybe last night, who knows what happened. So, you know, we do our stuff, but we're not really, you know, in a spiritual good place. We have to make or bring ourselves to the good space. And how do we do that? It helps when we do some Hasidic learning before davening. It helps when you learn Torah in general. But when you learn something of Hasidism, something of spiritual uh, knowledge and understanding of the divine, so then you start opening up windows. It's like being in a stuffy room, which is heavy and dark and stuffy. By opening up the blinds, you're letting in the sunlight. You open up the windows, you let in fresh air. So spiritually, you got to open up your spiritual windows. you got to let in fresh air. you got to let in the sunlight. And that comes through study and primarily through prayer. In davening, you start focusing on God and you start internalizing your godly consciousness. Now, that means you're setting on the journey. You're leaving Egypt. Now, if you're going to be successful during prayer, that means, which we hope we do, and that successful during prayer means that when we come out of the prayer, we are feeling far more um, um, purposeful in our life. God has become the epicenter of our being. We... The point of davening is to redefine reality. Not to see things superficially the way our natural eyes see things, and that is I am the center of my universe. The world around me, it's all about me and about, about the pleasures I can get out of life. But I recognize that I have a purpose in this world. I'm a soul. I was sent here by God. God is the reality of everything. Everything I'm excited about should be about Hashem. That's basically what davening is supposed to be. A meditation. Davening is not supposed to be a mumbling. It's not supposed to be exercising your jaws and your tongue and strengthening your jaw muscles. That's, that's what, sadly, a lot of times davening is. But that's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be mindfulness. Davening is mindfulness. It helps to do some meditation. And that's why you need to have knowledge of Hasidus before, uh, or even without Hasidus you can meditate. But Hasidus increases that a millionfold. So you have the knowledge that you can meditate. You can meditate, which means you can expand your consciousness of God. What's the purpose? The purpose over here is to get to the heart. The mind is a, is a, is a kind of a bypass in which we want to get to the heart. Because really what's going to dictate our behavior is where our passion is. If our passion is going to be towards good things, then we're going to be doing good. Then our behavior is most probably going. If our passion is going to remain selfish, egotistic, and towards the, the materialistic uh, things in this world, then we're not going to... Then even if we have convictions to the other side, uh, and, and maybe we follow our convictions over our passion, but we're not going to be too successful in our, in our Judaism in our life. It's when, our, when we're excited. When do we get things done? We get things done when we're excited, when we feel an energy. Intellectual um, knowledge, just mental cognition is, doesn't suffice. Mental cognition, understanding, an intellectual appreciation, I'm not saying doesn't have any say in what a person is going to do. It should have and it could have, but it's not as impactful as when you have an excitement in your heart about being a Jew, about your purpose in life, about how you can bring Mashiach closer, and how you can transform the Lord. If it's passion, if it's fire, if it's energy in the heart, boy, you're going to make a difference. So that's what we want to get to. This is the target. Target is the heart. Now, the natural state of the heart, however, is unholy. The heart actually is Eretz Yisrael. This is the heart. 
Eretz Yisrael. It's got seven compartments, even though not, not physically, but just like Israel had seven nations living there. Seven emotions living in the heart. Those seven emotions are corrupted emotions. How did they become corrupt? We were born corrupted in that sense. Because we're born with an animal soul. The animal soul comes from the klipa. It knows only the unholy. It knows the shell reality. It knows superficial. And it's excited about superficial. That's it. The animal soul's excitement. It's loves and it's, and it's fears are naturally geared to what it appreciates as reality. And reality is, is money. Reality is all the other pleasures and delights that one can have. Fame, power, money, um, and, the, and the pleasures and delights of all the other physical things in this world. And as long as that's your excitement, you're not going to be too effective as a Jew in this world, transforming the world. You know, you have something's couples. I'll give an example. Chabad Shaluchimsam. You have a couple. They move into a town, and their entire life is dedicated to changing the town. Imagine that. P people. It's not about making money. It's not about... I'm talking about those that are really devoted. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about an unrelenting, selfless devotion to Jews and to mitzvahs. Right? Now, how, how did they become this way? How, obviously, someone really inspired them when they were young. <laughs> To make this, it's a life full of hardship. It's a life giving up on tremendous things. I'm using a Chabad couple. It's not only a Chabad couple. You have people who devote their lives to learning Torah all day, to pursuit of spiritual things. That's, that's a different mindset. It's not so much about impacting the whole world, but it's at least a, 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 you know, a, a, a life geared to a higher purpose. It's not just about me having a nice, wonderful, good time in my life, right? So how do they become that? I mean, because eventually, at some point in their teenage years, someone turned them on emotionally. Now, sometimes, even they, and I'm not saying sometimes, I'm saying all the time, you could be very inspired as a teenager. You could be very inspired the year after you got married, and that energy fizzles out, and then you find yourself somewhere on Shlichus, or somewhere in the middle of the episode, and you have no energy in it. You'd rather just live in... Uh, that's possible. That's why it's a struggle for them as well the continuous element of it. But that's the, I'm just using that as an example. The question is, where is our heart? What are we excited about? And the natural state of the heart is that it is excited about the physical things, the material world. Because that's what it perceives as true and as real. So what the whole point of davening is, of prayers, it's all about reorienting or redefining reality. And that's the meaning of prayer according to Hasidus. It's meant to be mentally focusing on how the world has no existence other than God creates it and sustains it every moment. When we think about that, not, for, not once, not twice, and every time we think about it, we give it like three minutes, I guarantee you, I have no doubt, I have no doubt, I have no shadow of a doubt. I mean, it's, it's simple, something, I'm going to say something so simple now, Yet, I wonder if any person is going to hear this and actually do it. And I wonder, when I say if any person is going to think is actually going to do it, I'm wondering about myself if I will do it. But I can guarantee you, spend one month, now it's Elul, spend one month, three minutes a day, thinking just this one thought. How everything you see is lifeless, doesn't live, has no existence, has no, nothing to it other than only when God's input comes in and the flowers blossom 
the moon brights up, the sun's warmth suddenly lights up, the ocean starts, the waves start loving up, the rivers are gushing, the cows are moving, the ear, the you know, feel, stop for a moment and see God's words coming down into the universe and the universe coming alive. See the little baby you know, uh, coming alive. See the animals, fly. see the birds suddenly, see them all dead on the floor. And it's hard to imagine, it's, it's much more than that. It's not just they're dead and they're alive. It's the, very, it's the very molecules that make them be and exist that's coming from something to nothing. But even if, we, if it's hard for us to imagine that, see a dead, exhausted, tired, sleepy, um, withering world and think for two minutes, three minutes, how that energy flow comes in and suddenly, bang, the world, the music turns on, the world is alive. Do that, and we should do that, three minutes a day for a month and see where your excitement in a month will be. Feel, you'll find an amazing thing, you'll see, I have no doubt, no question, you'll have a complete different heart, a complete different heart. You'll have an entire reality. Your excitement of being a Jew will be so palpable. The fact that you have a relationship with this awesome, infinite God is going to be such a meaningful thing. Such a, just because you thought about this three minutes. Because those three minutes, if you do it day by day by day by day, just create a shift in introducing a deeper truth into your reality. And suddenly God is real. He's MS, he's real. And then you want more of him. And you want to be more of his program and his purpose and his reality. And slowly, things of the material, physical world, because you, you've meditated on how nothing they are without the divine input, they will start becoming less important. Less and less and less important. And God will start becoming more and more important. So, when do you know you've arrived to the land of Israel? What's the land of Israel? If Egypt is a land called a land of poverty, Mitzrayim means constriction, that means our spiritual consciousness is at the bare, bare minimum, that the only thing left is our identity that we are a Jew and we have faith, what would be the land of milk, the land of milk and honey, the land of Israel, spiritually, that a person arrives to the land of Israel, that means where our Godly consciousness has expanded so much that our entire being is just filled with godly consciousness. And when I say entire being, I don't mean just thought, speech, action, or I mean it has encaps. It has, in other words, our 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 excitement to Hashem is so deep that it has permeated. Our pleasure, our pleasure. That the only pleasure we know is the pleasure of the divine. Now, let me, obviously, if our only pleasure is saying a bracha, it's, how does it work by us? Well, we make brachas all the time. What's our pleasure? Our pleasure is in lunch. If you have a good salad, and, it's, and, and we spice it up well, and we garnish it well, and we put in the, the thing, that's our pleasure. Now we also have to say a bracha, so we say a bracha. So, obviously there's many levels of saying a bracha, but imagine that the pleasure you have by saying the bracha 
exceeds the pleasure we have in eating the salad. Halavayof uns gezak, that would be like, wow, but that's what we mean being in the land of Israel. I was just in shul the other day. It was just funny. It was funny because I, I, it just, a guy wanted to ask me, he, he comes over to me with a siddur. He can't talk because he's in the middle of davening. He can't talk. It just happened just yesterday, two days ago. And he shows me Asha Yatsar. And I'm looking, what do you want from me? I should say, you want me to say Asha I didn't go to the bathroom now. What do you want me to say Asha Yatsar? I'm looking at it. I can't feel it. And he showed me Asha Yatsar. He said, you want, I should say an Asha Yatsar for you? And then I realized he just asked me where the bathroom is. So he's showing me Asha Yatsar. <laughs> so I, and then I said, so how beautiful are Jewish people? If the entire bathroom is just an opportunity to say Asha Yatsar, that's great. <laughs> so imagine if the, that's really what, what every experience in life is is just that we can say the bracha, and we have more pleasure in the blessing than we have in the actual. That means that you are in a godly space. You are in a godly space. You're delighting in the divine more than you're del- delighting in the physical. It's, it's, it, and, th- and that's being. Now, how do you get there? Obviously, the mind has a lot of teaching. The, the, the intellect, the mind, the, 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 the godly understanding that God is and there's none but Him and He creates everything, sustains everything, and He's the pleasure of everything and the, and the delight of everything. The, the, the mind has so educated the emotions till it brings about a metamorphosis of the emotions, that the emotions have completely flipped over and now God is your pleasure. So in that state, Ambalek can't come and, 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 and try to dissuade you from godliness because he has no one to talk to. Your heart is already in God's territory. Amalek can't. It's too late. He arrived too late. He missed the show. He missed the boat because you've already adapted God as your reality. And what is he going to say? Eh, eh, don't be impressed. What do you mean? This is what I love. This is my passion. This is my excitement. But then there is another state, and that's the state where we are all in, if, if we're trying. If we're not trying, we're still in Egypt. But if we at least make an attempt to increase spirituality in our life, we're on the journey, we're on the road going out of Egypt and going to Eretz Yisrael. And what does it mean to go on the road? It's when our minds are telling us that pleasure and truth and reality is in mitzvahs, is in Torah, is in isn't doing good things for people. That's where it is. And the heart is listening. Now the heart listens. That means you can talk to your heart. You can talk to your emotions. Now the emotions essentially are still back in Egypt. In other words, these emotions are still essentially like a piece of cheesecake more than they like Shmon Esri. But the mind is making an argument. And the heart is listening to the argument. And guess what? If the argument is a good argument, it can convince it. Right? Convince it. And that's really the work. The work is to try to convince our hearts. Our hearts, all of our emotions must be informed with the information of the mind. So when the mind tries to dialogue and to communicate with the heart, convince the heart, the heart is, and, and bring the heart onto the same page with the mind. So initially, it cannot happen just like this. You can't become, from a, from, a, from a materialistic person, you can't become a tzaddik overnight. You can't do that. You can't, you can't. It takes time. It takes a transformation. And the transformation is where the mind is trying to compel the heart. When the, how does it do it? By the mind 
making, as we said earlier, a compelling argument, and the mind, through meditation, making this compelling argument daily, again and again and again and again, slowly the heart starts agreeing to the mind. Slowly, it starts agreeing to the mind. And it starts getting excited about what's good. Even though it's not its natural excitement. So what's the difference about being in Israel or not being in Israel? When you're in Israel, it's already natural to you to love God because you've flipped your heart already. You've so identified with God that God has become your only reality of your emotion. And what's the proof? You have a pleasure in holiness. When you're not in Egypt, when you're not in Eretz Yisrael, you're on the way, that's called being in the, in the desert for 40 years. You're following behind God. You're following behind Him. It means that your mind is tugging on your heart, but your heart is not there yet. Your heart is listening. Your heart is coming along. Your heart is even getting excited, but it's a compelled excitement. Let me give you a perfect example, and you'll see it's perfect. Okay? There is a guy, a, a sports mashugana, right? People, people are crazy about sports. Crazy about every football season, they don't, they're glued to the television. Right? I'm sure you know some men that are that, maybe women too that are like crazy about me. Men mainly have this uh, thing, okay? I don't identify with it, but there are people that are that way, okay? Now imagine if someone, the, world, the, 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 the final game, it's the, uh, no, what is it? The, the big one, the, no, 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 the, the one that happens in the winter, February, everybody, the whole world, so everybody's busy making part, uh, the, the Super Bowl, okay, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So imagine the Super Bowl's coming, and this guy has tickets to go to the Super Bowl. Okay, he's got tickets. That's like the ultimate dream of a football game. He's got, he's got tickets to the Super Bowl. Okay, now imagine if someone comes and tells him, you know, this year the teams that are there, they're playing, you know, they make a big deal about the Super Bowl. So now there are two people that have tickets. One person is a guy who's been a sports, has been a football fan his entire life. This is this. Then the other guy, a guy like me, I don't care. I don't even know how, how football works, really, in truth. I, I never studied the game. I like basketball, I would say. I would, like, I would enjoy basketball. But football, I've never followed it. I don't even know the nature of the game of exactly what we're going to win. Now, I can imagine the electric energy in a Super Bowl game is awesome. I can imagine it must be pretty much fun to be in a stadium like that where there is such a... There is so, I would want to see that because I would think that would be like a little parallel to what's going to be when Mashiach comes, like the energy that's going to be in Jerusalem. But I, I would be interested. So imagine if someone convinced me and bought me tickets. It costed him $3,000. He got me a ticket for $3,000. And he convinced me to come. And I agreed. I'm like a rabbi. I don't know if I belong at the Super Bowl. I don't know how to put on a cap. Uh, <laughs> not make myself too visible. And I would go to the Super Bowl. I would go. Imagine if someone comes to me a night before and he starts telling me, you know what, if I would go, eh, it's not, they make, eh, and, and throws it and laughs off the whole thing. Very possible, I, I, I will buy in, and even though I was excited about going, and I told people that I'm going, people that I would trust, they're not going to tell anybody else, right? <laughs> I told people that I'm going to the game, and I was excited about but since it's not an essential excitement, it's not a pleasure that I essentially have developed, that I care about, it's someone, my friend, who, who, who got, me, got me excited about something that he's excited. So then, if someone comes and laughs it off or dismisses, you're crazy, you spend hours at this ridiculous place, uh, he might laugh me off and I might buy into it because 
it's not. But if I was a crazy super uh, uh, football fan all my life, and this is my place, what I live for, there's no way you can laugh from today tomorrow. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even blink an eye. I wouldn't. It wouldn't even. It wouldn't. It would be so, so, um, so, so uh, uh, um, meaningless. The 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 taunting jabs or the because because I'm going to the Super Bowl. Understand? That's the idea. That means when 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 that's the difference between being in the land of Israel or being on the way. Being on the way is there's something else that's not me trying to convince me that godliness is good. That's where Amalek is dangerous because that's where Amalek can come. And what does Amalek do? Amalek doesn't come with an argument to show you that God is not the truth of the universe. Amalek doesn't come with an argument to try to prove to you that living a spiritual life is not, is not meaningful and not, and not eternal and not that. He doesn't do any of that. He just dismisses it. He laughs it off. He says, oh, you're, bec one of them, oh, you're becoming a holy guy. Yeah? <laughs> that's all. Oh, you're becoming a Rebbitson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's all. It would add anything. No basis to it. Yeah, maybe I am becoming a Rebbitson. Not me. I'm becoming a Rebbitson. <laughs> Maybe I am uh, becoming more, more, more godlier. Yeah, and, and this is the right thing to do. But by, by just laughing at it or making a joke or dismissing it, he breaks that. And again, it doesn't have to be an outsider. It can be within ourselves. The klipa that comes up, as we said earlier, that ugly being with the steel horns that laughs and dismisses the impact that the mind wants to have on the heart, cuts it off, laughs it off, disconnects it, and doesn't allow for the godly flow. To, to impact. So that's when Amalek comes. He comes on the way. Again, in Egypt, someone was not trying to get out of his or her physical, materialistic world, and they suffice with just believing in God and going to show maybe once Yom Kippur, and that's it. There's no, there's no action, there's no activity to try to struggle, to try to break free from the constrictions of Egypt and to move into a more godly or higher way of living. Amalek doesn't care about that person. You're good, you, you know. There's no need for Amalek to dismiss anything because they're not working on creating change. Amalek can't stand when the world becomes godlier. So when he sees a person that's making an effort to change, he is a target, he or she are a target for Amalek. When? Before they reach their destination. On the road. On the road out of Egypt. Bader. So this is the problem. This is Amalek. Now, when Amalek affects us, when Amalek affects us in our lives over here, and when we're impacted by Amalek, the scary part is it causes a complete disconnect in all levels of godliness. It's when there is a tremendous inspiration from above to manifest greater godly light into the world, there is a spiritual klipa, a satanic force that's a, a, a great uncle of the little voice that comes up to you in your heart is that big super mega clip above that dismisses the energy and it doesn't allow it to manifest into the next world. Ultimately, what does that make? That makes that this world down here remains cold, dark, and separated from God. And Mashiach doesn't come. That's the Amor. And it's connected to the little dismissals that we make. When we are convinced with absolute certainty that I should get up and go get the Negelvasser, and then I say, eh, that's it, eh, I'm not doing it. Well, I'm not doing it. Maybe you should. I'm not doing it. That's it. So that's, that's making a deposit, if you can say, into the, into the Amalek, 
uh, <laughs> it's, hard, it's harsh words to say, but that's what it is. It's making a major contribution to the Amalek account that empowers Amalek energy in the world to stop godliness on a cosmic scale. And we're all guilty of it, I'm saying. We all struggle with this. That's why in Hasidus, there was no greater enemy to the, to the Chabad Rabbeim, to the, to the old Tzaddikim, but in Chabad it was particularly, because the Rabbeim were all about teaching you inspiration, which using the meditations and inspiration, the teaching you will motivate your actions, will motivate your emotions. But the one who can stand up against that are, is, is Amalek. So, and since, more than that, since the the Rabbeim, starting from the Baal Shem Tov and down, Hasidus, is meant to be a prelude to Mashiach, which is the godly manifestation in this world, there is such an animosity against Amalek, that this Amalek is such a vicious klipa that we have to destroy it. But how do you destroy it? The problem with Amalek is you can't argue with him. Because any convincing... Again, someone who makes an argument, a logical argument to dismiss your excitement, Good, so you can refute the logic. But someone that doesn't make a, a logical argument, he just asks you the question, what are you becoming from on your own? <laughs> what are you becoming a rabbit? It just laughs, makes a, a dis, dismissing comment, which means it's a brazen assault based on pure nothingness, pure arrogance, pure audacity against God, so you can't argue with it. So how do you deal with him? So the answer to that is Zachor. Remember. Remember. Why is Zachor the answer to Amalek? Why is remembrance? And here's the answer. It's a very, very important, very deep fundamental idea. Remember it doesn't mean remind yourself. Well, once a year, you will remember. No. Remember means enter to a place in you where, there is n where, where you can't forget. In other words, attach yourself. Awaken in you a connection to God on a level where you're outside of the range of forgetting. Let me give a little example. You meet people in, in, in any stage of life. You have friends, I have friends, we all have friends. We, people are into certain things. Into certain things. Usually, when do, when do people get into things? You know all these people, that do, they're into exercise. Now they're in there. And then you meet them, and they're doing, um, I don't know, this kind of exercise. I don't know, they're doing, uh, what was the, the famous exercise that people have been doing like big time? Everybody's been, everybody was doing this one exercise, I forgot. It's like, uh, okay, I forgot, whatever. And then suddenly people are into keto. They're dieting. They're doing this. And then people are into... And spiritually, too. You meet people that this one is into Lush and Hara for a while. This one is into Mashiach for a while. This one is into... You know, people get excited about certain projects. Like, you know, some people get very into helping, Satsala, this, that. And they get into it. And they become activists. You meet them two years later, and uh, what happened? Uh, they're on to other things. Life is very, you know, life is distracting. We have children, children growing up, you have weddings, you have this, you have problems, you have schools, you have, you have these businesses, you have this, and you have stories, and then sometimes you have to move from a different city to a different place, fired from jobs, new jobs, new employees, challenges in businesses. We are very fickle people, and we're like in a wash machine, especially the fast-paced world that we're in right now. So it's so much, like, you know, you have people who come to a shear and they're into it for like months, years, suddenly you don't see them for six years. What, oh yeah, and then you meet and say, oh, I loved your shear, but I, I, wish, I wish I can get back, uh, you know? But 
what happens is that you, you know you you forget why do you forget because you're not focused There's no, you don't have that reminder you don't have those people you don't have the thing and suddenly whatever was so meaningful and so important in your life and so much of an energy that went into it faded away slowly and you forget you, you know so again this person was an avid biker or an avid exerciser and then two years later they're completely you know they're out of shape they're back to their straw and, and they can't even get back into it so you see it's where you put your mind you have to mental mental focus is so important and where you put your mind, that's where you're... So, if this is true about the physical, physical projects that people are doing, how much more is it when it comes to spiritual, which in general is more difficult than hard, because the whole spiritual is more abstract. How much does it require mental focus, mental focus, mental focus, and without the constant mental focus? And we go up and down, obviously. The more, if you spend a little, if you have a certain passion, and you spend time, you had, let's say, a week off, you didn't have work, uh, you had like your, your job was give you a month of off and during that period of time you were reading you, you, you followed your passion so during that month you're suddenly so intensely passionate about it but once you go back to work and you, you get into the grind of every day that passion weakens what I'm saying is that we see fluctuations in a person's emotional excitement to things emotions attachment to things they go up and down and up and down and up and down to the point that sometimes you become so disconnected you forget. You reach a total forget. That whole range is a range of experience that you get more into it, less into it, the volume goes up, the volume goes up, down, up and down, up and down. That's only in the expressed realm of your existence, which means on your outer level of consciousness. When I say outer level of consciousness, I mean basically consciousness. But outer meaning to the fact that it's not your very essence. But there is one aspect that there is no forgetfulness. And that's when it really concerns your very deepest you. Your very deepest. Your child is you all the time. You don't forget your children. They're you. I, yeah, there are times that you have more time for your children, time you have less than your children, but we should, let's put it this way, we shouldn't forget our children, for sure, ever. And the true parent-child relationship is that they don't forget each other. I'll give you a, another example, you know. A, a, a bride to get married doesn't forget that she's getting married. There's one day in her mind, I'm saying, at least till the wedding, at least from when they're engaged till their wedding, other people, oh, yeah, oh, when are you getting married? Oh, yeah, I was thinking about your wedding. I was actually excited. I was shopping. I needed a dress. It's a cousin. It's a sister-in-law. It's a this. I, it goes up and down. I think. But the one who's actually getting married, it, the connection is on a level so deep of a place of essence that when you're asleep, you're just as aware of your wedding like when you're awake. You're, you don't need any external reminder. You don't need any meditation. You don't need anything to remind you of your wedding because your wedding is who you are right now. That's who you are. I'm giving an example of something that's close to essence. More than that is your very self, your very existence, your very life. You don't need meditation to get, get, to, to get you excited about life, about being alive. You want to live all the time. When you're asleep, you want to live. In other words, out of sight, out of, what's the, what's the expression? Out of, si out of sight, out of, out of mind. Only is with things that are not, who are not you. Things that are you do not, that they're, they're very much you, your very essence, never leave you. So when we say remember, it means elevate your relationship to God to a level 
of pre to a level from where memory comes from. A place where you cannot forget. In other words, when could Amalek come and drain your energy? When you are getting excited about God, you're getting excited. When you're getting excited, and we need your excitement to be godly, so then Amalek comes and drains the excitement. But if your connection to Hashem is who you are, not your excitement, it's, now even being an Eretz Yisrael, which shows on the total transformation, it's still in the range of excitement. I'm excited with pleasure. God is my pleasure, but it's still on a level of excitement. This is even deeper than that. This is, this is who I am, and I don't forget me, I don't forget Kasha. When godliness becomes so deep, or rather, let me say it doesn't become, when we unearth that our connection to God is who we are, not what we're excited about, not even what we find pleasure in, but God is who we are at our very core, our God, us being a Jew is my entire being, then it, it's not within the realm of forgetting. Amalek is powerless over there because over there, it doesn't make a difference excited or not excited. This is my very being. Zachoy, remember. And when we introduce memory into it, which means a place where there is not possibility for getting, that eliminates Amalek completely. And, but, but that itself is very difficult. How do you do that? How does godliness become? Meaning our range of power is more in our revealed powers of our soul, our intellect. Where do, we have, where do we have jurisdiction over? Where can we actively, actively expand? Where can we put an effort? In our conscious realm. In our subconscious realm, which we're talking about over here, making, we don't have that much power. That's why the Torah says in Parashas B'Shalach, Mochay Emche, God says, I will erase Amalek. In other words, you need divine help, major divine help, to be able to identify with godliness so deeply on such a high level of inner connection that Amalek doesn't have any power on us. One of the ways it explains in Hasidus to do that, that's where bonding with a tzaddik, with a Rebbe is. That's the idea of a skashris to a Rebbe. A Rebbe can, can awaken in you what you can't awaken in yourself. A Rebbe can uncover, I think we wonder if I'm at a very deep level, why do Hasidim feel? You be a Jew on your own. What do you need to be connected to a tzaddik? What do you need a Rebbe? A Rebbe is like, when the people went to fight against Amalek, who led them in battle? Moshe Rabbeinu. And the only way they were victorious over Amalek was when Moshe lifted his hand, they won. When Moshe put down his hand, they were losing. Which means the power to fight Amalek is really a divine power. It's outside of our range. It's about us. It's about uncovering a connection, an essential oneness, an identification with God on a level of essence. But that itself, to feel that and to become aware of it and to be conscious of that, where, where our Judaism and our connection to God is who we are at our deepest point, that itself requires a Moshe Rabbeinu to open us up to that, to that place. So going back to going to the beginning of the class, um, especially in, at these moments when Amalek is the, is the call of the hour, where right now, right now, the, 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 at, right at the, at the threshold of the redemption is where Amalek is working overtime. He's really working overtime 
to try to drain us, to make us tired, to make us think that Tavshim Pei Aleph going into Tavshim Pei Bay is just another regular transition. Is Rosh Hashanah is just the same like every year. El is the same. Slichus is the same like every year. It just comes and it goes and so it will go and who knows. It's probably going to happen again Tavshim Pei Gimel and then again Tavshim Pei Dalin. That's what he tries to convince us. And not realizing, not realizing what happened on Lag Omer, what happened on Shavuos, what happened on Yud Beis Thomas, Surfside? What happened on every, I mean, like, crazy? This is just a regular time? This is just another year? This is just another year we come and go? No, 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 no. Amalek is working overtime. And we, God forbid, cannot allow him to enter. And the only thing they can do is cry out to the Eberster, please, I know this is who I am. Zachor, help me, help me identify with the deepest, deepest, truest that I recognize that my connection to you is who I am, it's my essence, it's my very self, and there's no other, nothing, I don't have to be excited. I, this is my identity, this is my being, this is my life. And then we are immune, Tamalik. Then we won't be, in other words, yeah, there will be days that you have more clarity. There's day you'll listen to a shir and it will be like, wow, oh my, this is crazy. And there will be days when you don't have that excitement, but that will not change your determination to see it through that Mashiach has to come now. You're not going to be on the roller coaster of emotional excitement of up and down because it's not about that. It's something much deeper. The Geula needs to come now and it's our, it's incumbent on each and every one of us to make it happen. We are, we are, God is counting on each and every one of us. He and us are totally one. We're in this together. And, and we don't stop until, until, until the Giyula is here. Um, and it can't be based on being, being excited. Because if we're just going to use excitement to cause it, then we're going to guarantee you're going to encounter a whole lot of Amaleks, inside and outside, that are going to say, eh, eh. We've heard it before. This happened. Uh, 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 all the Mishigas. And they're going to make sense. Amalek a lot of times comes in, in every way. But that's not... We, again, so what's the idea? The idea is the premise of our devotion and dedication to the final goal cannot be based on emotional excitement or even intellectual reasoning. It has to be something of essence that this we know is true from our essence and we're not going to stop until Mashiach is here. And Bezrat Hashem, with that, with that energy, with that power, Amalek is powerless, it's dismissed, it is gone, it doesn't have any, any, any hold on us and doesn't have any hold in the world. And in the most magical way, COVID will be gone, lockdowns will be gone, all this cuckooness will be gone. The pain, the misery, the, 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 the threat of terrorism, the threat of this and the threat of everything will be gone. We're gonna open ourselves, we're gonna open our eyes up to such to a world singing, to a world dancing, to a world of so much love, not just the Jewish people, but coming from billions of people across the the planet. Imagine that moment when suddenly every frown and every anger and every wrath will suddenly dissipate forever. And this incredible 
joyous laughter and like deep sense of, of course, like I've always known this. This is so, this is for sure. And the entire universe breaks out in song to the creator. And this is where we're at. This is so close that it, it's not normal. It's just, it's, it's just about pushing through that last tiny little something, which no one knows when, but it could have been yesterday, and it definitely should be today. So let's make sure that we don't have tomorrow without it being here. So let's just do it. Amen.